Um, welcome to this week's sermon. It's great to have everyone here. Um, so as you know, we are doing a sermon series on who is Jesus, and I'm preaching through the I am statements. And um, so far we've seen I'm the bread of life and I'm the light of the world. And today the one we are looking at doesn't get much of a mention often. And in fact, it sometimes has been changed. And because today we are looking at one that is the next one in the series. If I was to ask you a very stupid question, how did you get in here today? It's a bit of a stupid question because you walked in. You walked in a door. Just for a moment, think about this. This morning, how many doors have you already used or gone through today? Most of us don't give a lot of thought to doors. But if we stop and think about certain doors, then we could come up with all different kinds of emotions. We have doors in our lives that have caused us trouble or got us into trouble. I'm, all, I'm sure you've all been in the situation where you've left a door open and your parents will say something like, shut the door, were you born in a tent? And so then you'll shut the door and then they say, don't slam the door. One of my favourites, kids, don't do this, but I remember when I used to get into trouble with my mum and I would sometimes take off to my bedroom and I would close my bedroom door and then I would sit with my back against the bedroom door. My mum would be on the other end yelling out, you open this door now, young man. We have doors that have also caused us pain. A common childhood injury all of us have gone through or our kids have gone through is slamming a hand or a finger into a door. Or even a similar one, and I hope you've never done this, sadly I have, but you weren't paying attention and you've walked right smack bang into a glass door. Then we have had doors in our lives that have been fun. I remember my brothers used to love it when our water bill came in Broken Hill for my parents because that meant we had to go down to the waterboard building in Broken Hill. And they had these revolving doors. And my brothers used to grab the silver bar and we would run and run and run and we would try and get these doors um, going as fast as we could. Sadly, they updated the building, got electric ones, and they were never as good. May surprise you in Broken Hill, the only building that had a, a lift or an elevator um, right up until I was a teenager was our hospital because it was four storeys. But it was the old doors where you had to open the chain bit first and then sliding door. I remember when we used to come to Adelaide and we went to shopping centres and they had those automatic doors and we would have fun by putting your hand in there so they would reopen. Drive people nuts, got into a lot of trouble, but anyway. Then we have those special doors that bring warm memories. I remember in Broken Hill we had the Buttercup Bakery and there was a secret door, not that it was very secret, but it was out the back. And as kids, we would go there on bikes and you just go and stand by the door and you looked in and all the machinery was going. But nine out of ten times, a guy in white shorts and a white T-shirt would come over with a loaf of bread and give it to you. And it was still warm. It was amazing. I still remember the door to my grandmother's house. I still remember the sound that it makes because I knew every time I walked into that grandma that we called Nana, you open the door and the first thing was a little table and on that table was a lolly jar, a jar of lollies. We all have lots of doors in our lives, yet we tend to take doors for granted. However, the door we are looking at today 
we should never, ever take for granted. Jesus says, I am the door. Sorry, it's not working. Can you hear it? Thank you. Jesus is the door. What on earth is this supposed to mean? Well, part of our difficulty with this particular metaphor is Jesus being the door, is that a lot of our modern translations have changed it to gate. Then we also have the issue that we just really want to skip over this bit because in the next bit, we get to the bit where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. We're much familiar with the picture of Jesus being a good shepherd and then we are of him being a door. Jesus is often pictured as a shepherd, but how many times in our scripture do we refer to him as a good door? Well, just before we hear what John 10 says, let me share some initial thoughts with us that will aid us in understanding and help us figure out what is this door all about? You see, John 10 is really a continuation of the previous chapter, the story of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. The man, having received his sight, confessed his faith in Jesus as the one who truly came from God. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, declared that Jesus is not from God. So they persecuted the man who had been healed. They persecuted him, they questioned him, and then they couldn't deal with him, so they drove him out. You could say they excommunicated him. Now we're told that Jesus had heard somehow that this man had been thrown out or excommunicated. And so he went to find him. When he went to find him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man says, I believe in the Son of Man. And of course he did. This man was once blind, but now he could see. The religious leaders, they were blind. But this man who was talking to Jesus had it right. He said, Yes. I believe in the Son of Man. And Jesus says, I am he. That's where the story continues. That's where we hear our today's reading from Tanya, which is John verses 1 to 10. I'll be reading from the NIV version this morning. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came, came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thank you. So you remember, this is all in response to the Pharisees saying, is he the son of man? John 10 focuses on the images of a sheep, sheepfolds and shepherds. It's a rural and eastern image for sure. 
But I believe even in our urban, suburban world, it is an image that can still say a great deal for us today. This passage sets the scene of a normal day for a sheep and its shepherd. Verses 1 is in the morning where the, where the shepherd is forming his flock. Verses 7 to 9 where it's midday and the shepherd is feeding his flock. Shepherding was a normal part of culture, much as going to the supermarket is for ours. The metaphor is repeated in scripture to show how God's loving heart towards us as his sheep. Do you know, when it comes to farming, we had farms back in our country town in Tagulawa. We tend to have pictures of mines of paddocks, shearing sheds, fences and pens. But that's not an accurate comparison to what we read about here. Do you know, on the outskirts of many villages, there might be community, what they called sheepfolds. This was where all the shepherds brought their sheep each evening. In the morning, the shepherd would call their sheep and each of their sheep would follow its shepherd into the sheepfold. The sheep knew the owner's voice and so they would follow him like no one else. So to understand this metaphor, I'm the door, we must understand, firstly, Mid and Middle Eastern sheepfolds. This will get us a better understanding. So let's go on a tour. Imagine for a moment that we're on a tour. We're touring the Holy Land. And then as we're walking along the hills, we come across something that looks like this. A structure of rocks. It is so high that you can't climb over it. It's so thick that you can't pierce it. As we walk around it, we wonder, what can it be? All we see is an opening. But soon a man appears. He's got a club that swings from his belt. He has in his hand a staff. And behind him, he has a lot of sheep. As he approaches us, we question him. And to our delight, he speaks English. And so the obviously first question we ask him is, who is he? And he says, I am a shepherd. And then, of course, the second most obvious question we ask him, what is this thing? He tells us that this structure we are looking at is a sheepfold. We look at him and ask another question. Do you keep your sheep in here? Yes. Do you keep them here at night? Yes, he replies. As you can see, he says, the walls of the rocks that enclose it are too high for the sheep to jump over. But he says, to be doubly sure and to be doubly safe, I sometimes put thorny branches on top of the walls for extra protection. This also helps in stopping thieves trying to climb in over the wall and steal my sheep. And we say, yeah, look, <laughs> hey, that's all well and good. But how can they be safe without a door? I mean, it doesn't matter how high the wall is or how thick the wall is or how prickly the fawny branches are that are up there. You're still with this, left with this dangerous opening. With an opening like that, any sheep in the middle of the night could get out or worse still, these thieves that you talk about could walk in. Now, we're a helpful bunch on this trip and we're Baptists, so we form a committee. And thankfully, we have some handyman on this trip like Bo. So we come up with a plan to bless this guy and to bless the community. We tell him, today is your lucky day. We're going to help you out. For extra safety, we are going to build you a door. To which he replies, don't need one. Already have one. We say, no, you don't. There's no door. Where's your door? Then with a twinkling in his eye, he stands tall and says, I am the door. 
What do you mean you are the door? Well, in that dangerous opening, as you call it, I build myself a shelter and a bed in that opening. I sit here and I keep watch until I fall asleep. And so I become the door. So let's, let, let's, let's get this straight. At night, you would put your sleep, sheep in this enclosure and then to stop any of your sheep getting out or any dangers like thieves or wild animals coming in, you would lay across this opening and sleep there. I do, he replies. Do you stay there all night? I do, he replies. Well, what if the weather's really bad? Do you stay there then? I do, he replies. Do you stay there no matter what animal comes along? I mean, what if a lion or a bear or a wolf or a thief comes along? Do you stay there then? I do, he replies. Then to prove his point, he draws back his eastern robe and sure enough, there are scars on his arms and his bodies, scars and scratches. He explains that these are wounds which he has suffered as he's fought off animals while defending his sheep. And then the final thing he says, I don't need your door. I'm the shepherd. I become the door of the sheepfold. I give my life for the sheep. No door you could build me would ever be as good as that. That is the picture that Jesus had in mind to all he heard him say, I am the door of the sheep. Remember, he is talking to the Pharisees and he is talking about how do people come into the Son of Man. With that as our background, knowing the fact that Jesus says this, I am the door, as part of a conversation in helping to settle an argument with this excommunicated man and the religious leaders, we can learn a lot. This statement isn't just about helping to settle an argument, though. It's a statement on authority and how does one get to have a relationship with this son of man? It's a statement not only to the point to the why and the how he can heal this man to the people of the day, it's also a statement to all the people of who he is and why he has come. What can we learn from this statement? What can we learn about this man that claims to be the door to this dejected man? Well, we can learn a number of things. Jesus as the door gives us, teaches us some wonderful things. And the first thing is this. Jesus as the door is a picture of decision. Jesus said, I am the door. In this he's saying, he who gives himself, he himself gives us access into the Father's presence. But he goes on to say, if anyone enters in. Jesus is saying, that as the door, he is there to give us access through himself into the Father's presence. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. I am the way. I'm the door. I'm the way you get in. But what's the point of knowing that? Unless you enter the gate and walk in. That's why the door is a picture of decision. Do you know there are many who admire the door? There are many who talk about the door. They sing about the door and they even argue about the door. But guess what they never do? They never walk in the door. Sadly, there are those who are content to stand and marvel at the door. They just stand and look with an interest in Jesus, but they've never crossed the threshold. They admire his life, they talk about his death, his teachings and his examples, but they never enter the building. 
At the door, you are in a place of decision. The door is a picture of decision, whether we want to take the gift of Jesus Christ, of the Son of Man, and enter the presence of God or not. To stand before Jesus Christ at the door and make no decision at all is the wrong one. To make no decision at all is to stay on the outside of the presence of God. You can't be like me and my brothers who got onto that revolving door and just went around and around and around and around and around. As fun as that is, going around and around at the door is not going to achieve anything. You've got to get out and into the building. The door is a picture of decision. In fact, it's a picture of the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And that leads me to my next point. Jesus as the door is a picture of salvation. Jesus says there are two ways to get into the sheepfold, through the door or jump the wall. Jesus says anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate or by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Who are these thieves and robbers that Jesus is referring to? The religious leaders who are attacking this man. The religious leaders who are opposing Jesus. In Jesus' day, there were many leaders and messiahs, many cults and philosophers, but none of them entered by the gate. But they, that's why he says they're like thieves and robbers. In the same way, when we think of our own context today, there are similarities. We too live in an age of competing faiths and ideologies. We live in a world of supermarket pick-and-mix spiritualities. Whatever you like, just go and take it. We live in a world that promotes tolerance at the cost of truth. Do you know, people sometimes make a comment to me that I hate. And the comment is this. Garth, this God and Jesus stuff, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. I hate that statement. Why do I hate that statement? Because truth doesn't work that way. You know, if you start to talk about money, measurements and medicine, that statement would never stand. When it comes to money, medicine and measurements, there are absolute truths that must not be denied. If a friend owed you $100 and he tried to pay back with $10, $1 coins, would you accept the payment? If he argued that in his opinion a $1 coin was the same as a $10 note, would you agree? Or suppose you went down to the local chemist and he said he used arsenic instead of penicillin in your prescription because he'd run out. Would you swallow the medicine? If a carpenter built you a bookcase that was 20 centimetres wide and 40 centimetres tall, but you ordered one that was 2 metres wide and 4 metres tall, and he said it doesn't really matter, a centimetre is the same as a metre, would you pay him for his work? If we want absolutes in matter that concern measurements, money and medicine, then what I say to my friends is this, why not in matters of personal morality, religion and faith? You can't say to me this God and Jesus stuff is true for me and not true for you. Truth doesn't work that way. Truth is truth. Peter warns us in 1 Peter 2 against false teachers who try to exploit us with fabricated words. The word fabricated in Greek means plastos. It's where we get our English word plastic. What are plastic words? These are words that can be moulded and twisted to mean almost anything. False teachers may use what appears to be a Christian vocabulary, but they do not use a Christian dictionary. Same words, 
different meaning. These false teachers do not believe in absolutes and therefore they are dangerous. There is such a thing as the truth and no amount of plastic words will be able to replace it. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is a picture of salvation. He is the door. He says that to enter by him is to have salvation. If you are looking for salvation, but it doesn't have Jesus as the first point of contact, then you're at the wrong door. You're at the wrong building. You're at the wrong place. Because if you're at the wrong door, you're at the wrong house. Can it be more simpler? By coming through the door, he says, one is saved. There is no other door which is true. No other access, no other way. If you try another way by jumping, you're nothing but a thief and a robber. Jesus is speaking here in the most exclusive of terms. There is no other door into God's kingdom and no other way into forgiveness. Jesus is the door to receive salvation. Some people like when you say things like that, some people don't, and sadly, subreject it. The door is just the same today as it was centuries ago when Jesus said these words. Though many attempts have been made to widen it so that more may enter it, salvation still comes from the same narrow way as it ever has. Salvation only comes through the door of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who accept it, for those of us that make the decision and enter into the salvation and to this son of man that he is offering, inside that building, like the door at the bakery and the door at my nana's house, come some blessings and good things. And here are some more. The door is a picture of freedom. Do you know, you talk to people about freedom and you'll get many differences of opinion. It was only on telly last night. I didn't watch it last night. But I remember when I first saw the movie Hidden Figures at the movies, the black woman make a comment in that movie about freedom and it is this, the oppressed never get freedom. The oppressed in this world can work at it, try to earn it, even demand it. The sad truth is, though, the answer is always the same. For those of us who are in this oppressed group of people, freedom is something we will never experience. How sad is that? This is a very sad view of freedom. But you know what? Sadly, most people have a sad view of freedom. They believe freedom is this, being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. If I can have that, then I'm free. With this view, it's no wonder many people think coming to Christ or becoming a Christian is losing freedom. Most people think that coming to Christ or becoming to a Christian somehow means we're being enslaved, we've been brainwashed. They think believing in Jesus means following a whole lot of rules. You know, it's what you have to give up. They think believing in Jesus means being enslaved, losing freedom. But let me tell you, the opposite is true. The truth is that sin is enslaving. Paul mentions in Romans 6 that if you're, a, you're involved in sin, you're a slave to sin. You're controlled by sin. Sin has enslaved and controlled you. 2 Peter 2.19 says they promise the freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, that to that he's enslaved. People think being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it is true freedom. But that's not true. 
Sin is not free. Being involved in sin is controlling. I mean, if sin was so liberating, just watch people try and stop it. No wonder so many sins related to bad behaviours are called addictions and need some support group to try and break them free. Jesus as the door not only gives salvation or eternal life, Jesus as the door brings freedom. He breaks the bondage of sin. Jesus as the door gives us the privilege of enduring freedom. How? As he says in verse 9, his sheep will go in and they will go out. This is a beautiful picture and one that they would understand because it's balance of being in and out. Timid sheep would stay in the fold 24-7 and never go out in the pastures chosen by the shepherd because then they'd be in danger. While on the other hand, careless, confident sheep would remain in the pastures 24-7 that would expose them to all sorts of dangers. Out in the pastures, the sheep had no wolves and were free to move about. But when in the pen, they were confined and both needed and controlled. As his sheep, we need the food, water and exercise of the pasture. Yet we also need the rest and security of the fold. We have freedom. We go in and we go out. These are the same areas of life that require walls and fences. If we ignore them, we get into trouble. Jesus, Jesus leads us out of the fold and into the new flock. Then he permits us to, to go out into the walled community because of the new freedom we have in him. That's what it means to be led by Jesus. Life is fulfilling. It takes on a whole new meaning and purpose. I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. We do have an abundant life through Jesus Christ because we have freedom. He will lead us in and out of his sheepfold. He is the door. He will send us out to the pastures and then he will bring us back again into the sheepfold to gain strength and comfort. Sure, at times while we're out in the pastures, it's tough, but through Jesus Christ, we will be helped over them. He is with us. And that's the next point. Jesus at the door is a picture of security. The door serves as protection to the sheep. Once the sheep are safely inside, the shepherd becomes the door. He lied down across the opening, serving as a sheep's protector as the door to the sheepfold. Outside, there may be wind, there may be snow, there may be rain, there may be fire. Many a time when lightning flashed and the hills caught on fire, outside there was danger, death and doom. But inside that pen, behind the shepherd, as the door, there was protection and security. Sheep felt secure because of the faithful, dependable man at the door. A lot of folk are looking for safety. Jesus is the only place of true safety and security. God has promised safety, security, shelter, salvation to the sheep who enter into him by the door. When you go through the door, you're safe. There may be paths that lead to this door, but there is only one door. There may be many churches showing the way, but there is only one way. There may be many folds into which sheep are invited to come and rest, but only one has Jesus for a door. And only in that can we find true rest indeed. There is rest in the fold because only there we are safe. Nothing can come to us, but it first must pass because it first must pass through the door. And as the psalmist says, he watches over us, never slumbers and never sleeps.
And finally, this door is a picture of heaven's door. I don't know if you ever watched it, but in the 90s there was a TV show called Let's Make a Deal. It was hosted by Vince Sorrenti. It was a show, it was a game show, and you worked your way and you had to do different challenges and everything like that, and there was left when you got to the final round to win the grand prize. To win the grand prize, all you had to do was this. You had to choose a door. Before you stood door one, door two, and door three. Behind one of those doors was the grand prize, but the contestant had to guess correctly to win. Imagine if that's how God dealt with people on Judgment Day. Three doors, but just one door opens into heaven and you had to guess which one. You have a 33% chance of being correct. Not very good odds when dealing with eternity. How awful and frightening Judgment Day would be then. But by the grace of God, our salvation doesn't depend upon our guesses. We can really be 100% sure, absolutely. We can be 100% sure which door is the saving door. The Bible makes it very clear that there is only one door to heaven. And that door is not the door of baptism, observing any sacraments, making a profession of faith in some kind of public way, or being accepted by the church, and it is certainly not the door of your own good works and your own good deeds. The door is not your family. You're not born into a Christianity by being born into a Christian home. The door is Christ himself. That is his whole point in this argument. Jesus is the way to God because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the way to the Father because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the only one and the only saving door. It is only through him that we can have forgiveness, life and salvation. It is only through him that we can be satisfied and enjoy life with the abundance of his blessing that he brings us. But you have to choose to go through the door. Let me leave you with this. If you are here today and you've never made the decision to go through the door, then take my mother's advice. Open this door now, young man. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the incredible blessings that you bestow upon us. Lord, you have walked this earth and you've said things about yourself. I fully don't grasp, Lord, this argument and what they did to this man, but I understand that you are talking about yourself and how people come to God the right way and the wrong way. Help us to come to God the right way. Help us to come and use you as our door. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is Jesus? I'd like to invite the stewards down now, by the way, because we're going to go straight into communion. As I said, Jesus is the picture of decision, salvation, freedom, security, and heaven's door. It is only through Jesus, through his body broken on that cross and his blood spilt out for the sacrifice for sins, that we can be saved. And that's what we celebrate now. As we come together around communion, ask yourself, who is Jesus to you? Do you know 
that you've made that decision to walk through the door? Have you received his salvation, his freedom, his security? Do you know that heaven's door is opened up to you because of what we are celebrating here at the table? Then if you do, then please feel free to partake. Because I always say this, what we do here today is just a symbol, but it is serious. If you don't know Jesus as your saving grace, if you don't know Jesus, if you are still going around in that revolving door, if you are still admiring the door, if you've never opened the door, then please feel free to let this pass you. But as we come, we're going to eat and drink together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is our door. But without the cross, there is no decision, there's no salvation, there's no freedom, there's no security and there's no heaven's door. That's why we do this. I'm going to give thanks and um, the stewards are going to hand out the bread and just eat that as you feel led and then they're going to hand out the cups and you're going to hold them and we're going to drink together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you walk this earth. I thank you that you are so tangible for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for your words. And I thank you for the light that you brought into this world. And I thank you that it is still true even to this day. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you walk the path of obedience of your Father and even to death on the cross. And that is what we remember today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will now prepare us as we come and remember what Jesus has done for us and as we remember God. We thank you for the wonderful sacrament that you have left us to do this. This is such a good thing to remember because it reminds us that before you we have nothing. You are our bread, you are our light of life and you are our door. Help us to truly celebrate that today. In Jesus' name, amen.